0: Well, it's not what
1: the 8th chapter of Luke this morning, beginning with the 26th verse, and that's on page 1606 if you're using one of our pew Bibles. But before we get into that, I want to talk about boxing. When I was growing up, boxing was a big deal. Uh, not so much anymore. It seems like now it's been replaced by a bunch of alphabet letters. There's the WWE and there's the UFC and there's the MMA, the AARP. No, wait, no, that one, that that, that doesn't have anything to do with fighting, does it? I don't think so. It's important to me, but I guess that's, that's not one of them. You know, but I, I, I vividly remember the Saturday night fights and, and my dad would turn on the television and I'd be sitting there with my dad. Thinking back over over the past and, and some of the great heavyweight fighters, you had Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano and Sonny Liston, and Joe Frazier, and George Foreman. Muhammad Ali, and of course, the incomparable Rocky Balboa. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I don't wear myself out, you know, before I get going. See, I had to get myself in the mood. I had to get a little fired up for this. So, so that did it. Thank you. Thank you. But you know, any list of, of the great heavyweight fighters of the world would be incomplete without the greatest of all. The Son of God. For three years of his ministry, he went toe-to-toe with one single opponent. He went by many names. Some called him Lucifer. Some called him the devil. Some called him the evil one. I guess his formal name is just Satan. They didn't fight in a ring. They fought out in the wilderness after his baptism. They fought in the villages and towns from Galilee to Judea. They fought... In Jerusalem, they fought in the Garden of Gethsemane, and on one particular occasion, as outlined here in Luke 8, they did battle on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I'm going to start with verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Let me stop there a moment. If we had backed up in that chapter we would have discovered that as they crossed the Sea of Galilee, Jesus demonstrated his power over the natural world. A storm had come up that threatened to sink their boat while Jesus was asleep. They woke Jesus up and said, we're going to drown. And Jesus rose up. And with just a simple word or the wave of his hand, he calmed the raging storm. He demonstrated to his disciples that night that he had power over the natural world that he had created. And now he was about to demonstrate to them that he also had power over the supernatural world. The man who encounters Jesus, it said, is possessed by many evil spirits. They had driven him out of his mind, out of his home and had stripped him of his humanity. If anyone tried to clothe him, he tore him off. If anyone tried to to subdue him, even with chains, he went into a rage and broke them off and ran screaming back out into the graveyard. The only place he felt at home was among the dead. And the only... Solace he had was in solitude. And as I thought about this man, I wondered how, how did he get this way? Was he always this way? Was he not someone's little boy at some time? Did he not run and play along the shore of the Sea of Galilee? Making sand castles? How did he get to this condition he was in? Bible doesn't say. All we know is that somehow, somewhere along the line in his life, evil got a foothold in his life. And when evil gets a foothold, if it's not checked, it will continue to grow. And push us farther and farther away from God until we reach a point where we think there's no coming back. And I realized that what these evil spirits had done to this man is what sin tries to do to all of us. It tries to drive a wedge between us and God. Not quickly, but gradually and subtly. We love the Lord. We worship the Lord. We read God's word. We pray. We feel close to God. Somewhere along the line we allow Sin to take a foothold in our life we we allow something to come in that that is against the will and the purpose of God and it begins to drive that wedge and suddenly we don't worship as much and we don't read his word as much and we don't pray as much and and we just don't feel close to God at all in fact we're not sure he's even there anymore and we wonder how did I how did I get this far from God That's what sin does. It never delivers what it promises. It always costs more than you want to pay. And it always, always diminishes our humanity. You know, when when people mess up, sometimes they'll say, well, after all, I'm only human. Do You ever say that? I'm only human. As if being human means you're going to mess up. Being human means you're flawed. But you know that's not true. If you read God's Word and understand it properly, being human is exactly what God wants you to be. He created you to be human. He created you in the image and the likeness of Him. And when we are living in relationship with him, our humanity is exactly what he wants us to have. So when we sin, when we allow evil to take a foothold in our life, we're not being human. We're being less than human. We're being sub. Human. And we see that epitomized in the fate of this man who had been possessed by so many evil spirits that he was virtually stripped of his humanity. Verse 30. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. We see just how far evil has taken this man. And that he doesn't even know his name anymore. Legion was not his name. That's not what his parents called him. That's not what the nurse wrote on the birth certificate at the hospital. He didn't write his name was Legion. His name was Johnny. His name was Bill. Sam. But he had fallen so far that he'd lost his human identity. And now he was identified only by the evil that was within him. My name is Legion, for we are many. That was meant to be a name that would intimidate. As these evil spirits found themselves toe-to-toe with the Son of God there on the Sea of Galilee. The name Legion should strike fear in the hearts of people. It certainly did in the Roman world. If you went up against a Roman legion, that was 6,000 of the best trained soldiers in the world. And there was no power on earth at that time greater than Rome. And so when Satan said, my name is legion through this man, he was letting Jesus know he was outnumbered. But even then, he knew the battle had been lost. Before a blow could even be struck, he could do nothing but throw in the towel and fall on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And it said that they begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. Now, that's the Bible talks about in Revelation the place of eternal condemnation, where evil eventually will be resigned. And will no longer have influence over anyone. And they were not done in this world. They wanted to remain in this world. So they begged Jesus to send them into the pigs. Now you may be asking, why are there pigs? These are Jewish people. What you need to remember is that they crossed the Sea of Galilee, it said. And across from the Sea of Galilee, you have Galilee, which is Israel on one side. And on the other shore, you have a Gentile area. These were not Jewish people. That's why they've got pigs. Jesus made one of his rare trips outside of Israel. And it was there he chose to fight this battle with Satan. Now, let's let's pick it up at 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. (laughs) Jesus did not allow the demons to go into the pigs because he had to or because he was doing them a favor. He did it because he wanted a a tangible expression of his power over evil. He didn't want the spirits just to disappear into the air. He wanted the people around him to see that his power was greater than that of his enemy. And so he let the demons rush into the pigs. And as soon as the demons rushed into the pigs, the pigs rushed off the cliff and into the sea and drowned themselves. Because the pigs didn't want anything to do with evil. Perhaps we could learn a lesson from pigs. They knew they didn't want any part of that. Whatever this was coming into them, they would rather be dead in the sea than to live with that. And I think sometimes we get a little too comfortable with evil. We get a little too comfortable with sin. We get a little too comfortable with temptation. And we think if only we allow a little bit, you know, surely a little bit won't hurt. Maybe if I sin once in a while, maybe if there's one particular temptation that I just have a hard time resisting and I give in to that one, but I resist all of these, then I'll be okay. But we need to remember that wedge and that once we allow sin to have a foothold in our life, it will just keep taking us farther and farther and farther away from God. It's like one time we were visiting her family down in Florida and we went to the beach and I had one of those little blow up air mattresses and I was going to go lay out in the ocean and just drift ah, sun felt good I got so relaxed started to fall asleep where do you think my air mattress went farther and farther away from the shore. And finally I hear this hey! Hey! On the raft. You talking to me? Get back in here! <laughs> and I looked and I people were like little specks. <laughs> Oops. I was looking for the fins coming up out of the water. So I flipped over on my raft and started doing my paddle thing and got myself back in there. I had no idea I was drifting. I was relaxed. I was comfortable. But the whole time I was going farther and farther from where I really wanted to be. And that's exactly what sin does. We give it a little bit. It's going to take a whole lot. And you will subtly just get farther and farther away from God. So maybe we could learn a lesson from the pigs and say we don't want anything to do with that. When those tending the pigs, this is verse 34, saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Now we had a little bit of debate at the 830 service about what a person is called who tends pigs. Someone who tends sheep is a shepherd. So, what is a person who tends pigs? And somebody Googled it for me, and it's a swineherd. A swineherd. See, you learn things when you come to church here. You know that now. So, so when it says when those tending the pigs, they're talking about swineherds. The swineherds ran into town. And said two things. You know the crazy dude that lives out in the tombstones? Yeah. He's cured. He's well. That's great. You know all our pigs? Yeah. They're dead. (laughs) Oh, that's bad. (laughs) It's kind of a two-edged sword there. Man healed good. Pigs dead bad, because we're talking impact on local economy here. And so they all rush out to meet Jesus. Now, I would have hoped that if you told these people that the Son of God was in their midst, a man who had power over the supernatural forces of evil, that you would want to hear what this man has to say, and you would want him to bless you with whatever he could bring you. And you would welcome him. But that is not what they did. They ran out. They confirmed that the story was true. They saw the crazy guy sitting in his right mind at Jesus' feet with clothes on. And then they went over and looked off the cliff and saw all the dead pigs. And immediately went to Jesus and said, You got to go. We need you to leave now. What a shame. They allowed their fear of what they did not know to keep them from knowing what Jesus came to bring them. They allowed their fear of their loss of profits from their herds to overcome their joy at knowing that someone could deal with the evil that was in this man. How many people were not changed by the love of God because they asked Jesus to leave? How many sick people weren't healed? How many other people dealing with evil were not delivered? How many sinners were lost because the Son of God had come among them, but His presence was not wanted? And you know what saddens me the most? it's when i think about that nothing really has changed how many times today is jesus told to go away you're not welcome here we don't believe in you we don't want this faith that is named for you we don't want your church How many people right here in this community are not being changed by the good news they've not heard because Jesus is not wanted Now for the Gerasenes there was still hope verse 38 The man whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus was not being cruel to the man when he refused to let him go. I mean, it's understandable. This man who is now in his right mind, who is now whole body, mind, and spirit, would want nothing more than to become a follower of Jesus. I want to go with you. I want to I be one of these guys, one of your disciples. I want to devote my life to serving you. Jesus said, I accept your service, but not with me. I need you to stay here. I mean, I can imagine Jesus saying to this man, they don't want me. They have rejected me. They've asked me to leave and I'm going to go. But you can stay here and do what I cannot. They won't let me tell them the good news, but they'll hear it from you. They asked me to leave, but they want you to stay. You go and tell what the Lord has done for you. And perhaps you can do among these people what they won't allow me to do. And when I read that in the scripture, I can't help but think Jesus is saying those words directly to me and directly to you. Because our mission is the same as his, to go and tell what the Lord has done for you. He's not telling you you've got to be a preacher stand up in church and do it. He's not telling you got to be a missionary and go off to some foreign land to do it. He wants you to do what he told this man to do. Go home. Go back to your neighborhood. <laughs> tell your family. Tell your friends. Tell everyone you have a relationship with simply what the Lord has done for you and what he means to you. Can we do that? Can we seek to have that kind of influence, that kind of impact on the lives of those around us? Simply telling what the Lord has done for me. He's forgiven me of all my sins. He's put eternity within my grasp. And he wants to do it for you too. Until the day he calls us home to heaven. That is our mission. That is our purpose. To go and tell what the Lord has done for you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for sharing with us this man's story. A man who was so utterly possessed by evil that there was no hope in this world for him. But there was hope out of this world. There was the hope that came into this world in the person of Jesus. Lord, we know you have power over this natural world. You created it. And we know you have power over the forces of evil in this world. They're not stronger, they're not greater, they cannot prevail as long as the spirit of Christ is present. So Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to be like the man in this story. Every day in the people we encounter to seek to tell what the Lord has done for us and what he means to us. So they too may know the joy of a relationship with you. For it's in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.